I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday, and it's a pleasure to be with you for a little honestly provocative talk radio. Glad to have you on board. I want to pose this question. Should Joe Biden retaliate, hit back against Iran, and hit back hard? Or does that play right into the playbook of perhaps even Joe Biden and the Iranians saying we're going to touch off a war in the Middle East? And that'll be one more conflict that Joe Biden has managed to bumble his way into on our behalf. And what's that going to do to Americans? So consider that. And welcome to the program. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. At least three Americans have died after a drone strike in Jordan against a United States base there. It's known as Tower 22. It's the launching point if we have service members who are going into Syria. They go in through Tower 22. It's ordinarily very well protected, but... They use drones going out. When their American drones go out or come back into that base, they turn off the countermeasures designed to take down any kind of intrusion by a foreign drone. The problem is the jihadis figured out how that works. And they said, we'll just have one of our drones follow an American drone through as the countermeasures are turned off. Are all of those drones equipped with or transmitting an IFF, an identification friend or foe? No, they're not. And so the result was that a drone that the people at Tower 22 thought was an American drone returning to base actually turned out to be a drone that was part of three drones attacking that base. Three Americans are dead. Five were so badly wounded that they've been evacuated to Germany for more medical care. At least a couple of dozen service members have suffered lesser injuries, but are being treated without being removed from that theater. So Is it time for Joe to hit back? What are we at? 165 attacks against American military in the Middle East. And Joe Biden does next to nothing because he doesn't want to strike back against Iran, which is a dangerous customer to begin with and may be very, very close to obtaining nuclear weapons, which will be a game changer for the entire Middle East. So consider that and i want to get to your calls at 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at larslarson.com and consider voting in our poll on x will joe biden declare war on texas or iran first consider that question i would say he's probably going to declare war on texas he all but has already today's poll can be found at lars larson show on x it's also on our website at LarsLarson.com, and it's always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, so I joined a long time ago. You can join. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Now, we always start with an A, Sayer, if we have one. Uh, Richard, welcome to the program. What is it that you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer on this Monday? 
I very much disagree with you on the Ukraine. The Ukraine needs <clears throat> our help. We agreed to take care of them in the event and they were attacked after the nuclear uh, they gave up their nuclear weapons and i'll tell you i got a dog in the fight i got two ukrainians in the other bedroom they blew up my in-laws house so you have a dog um, in the fight okay yes i do i always well, i always i don't i don't have a dog in the fight except the american people and i'd ask you this what what is the american national security interest that justifies sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine in a war that we've already been told won't progress at all one way or the other in the next 12 months? Okay, there, there's several things. Um, one, um, our, our inter- there is a big interest there because there's a tremendous amount of gas and uh, uh, you know available in Ukraine and in the Sea of Azov. Uh, I've been down there. And uh, also... Um, I disagree with you wholeheartedly when you're saying that they are free. And the reason they shut down the Russian Orthodox Church, you probably don't know this, but uh, um, the Russian Orthodox Church is siding with Russia and spouting all well, kinds hold, of lies. Hold on, though. Hold on, Richard. Let me, let me put this to you this way. Let's say America ends up in a war. We've been in wars before. Let's say a church takes a position contrary against the war. That wouldn't be anything new for America. Would you, be, would you say that we were exhibiting our American freedoms and we said, well, if the church in America opposes the war that we're involved in, we'll just simply shut them down? Do you think that's an, do you think that's an attribute of a free country? Because we keep being told by Joe Biden and others that we're preserving democracy by defending Ukraine. And yet it's a country where media is shut down, churches are shut down, free speech is not allowed, and it's corrupt all day long and twice on Sunday. Is that what we're defending there? No, but the, the church is not just saying it's, they're against it. They're, they're more actively doing things. My daughter... Well, hold on. More actively doing things. What is the church doing... That, now, if a church in America says we're going to go out and we're going to make bombs on behalf of some terrorist organization, that's a violation of our law. But ordinarily, a free country doesn't shut down its churches, does it? Not normally. Um, and but, does a free country uh, shut down its media when the media doesn't sing the song that Zelensky wants them to sing? No, that's, you're, you're correct there. Um, but there's one other aspect to this, and, and I'm, I'm going to get off of the church topic. Sure. Um, I was down in Herlong, California, picking up a trailer from the military base. Okay. And they had this giant, and I mean giant, um, uh, compound, and it, it said right on the uh, signs right on it, if you enter, you will be shot. But it was uh, full, and I mean full, stacked to the stacked like you couldn't believe of Abrams tanks just sitting there doing nothing. And a lot of these earlier Abrams have the uh, depleted uranium in them and because I did have... No, the depleted uranium is ammunition. You could load that kind of ammunition in almost any weapon that fires. In other words, if you've got a howitzer, you can load it with explosive rounds, you can explode, you can load it with depleted uranium. That's the round that you shoot is the depleted uranium. It's because it's no, dense had it and heavy. Yeah, that's correct. But some of them had it in the front glacius plate of the tank. And they didn't know what they, their problem is. They've got this tank. They don't know what to do with it because 
it's uh, is quote unquote obsolete. Then they got this uranium in there, so they. So, but I'm not sure where you're going with this. What are you suggesting isn't or is being done that should be done? Give them all the excess tanks we got. I and and I talked to uh, Merkley. Uh, but, but, but the problem is, you're suggesting that we give up. We are already depleting our own stocks and reserves, which we have for a reason. We're handing that over to Ukraine. We're handing over billions that we already know some of it has been diverted because it's going into a corrupt country. And it's a country that apparently doesn't believe in the ordinary freedoms that America believes in. But we're told by Joe Biden, we've got to defend the, uh, democracy. Interesting naysayer, Richard. I appreciate the call. Back in just a moment. Glad to have you with me on a Monday. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Whether you like it or not, with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on a Monday. If you want to jump in, we've got room for naysayers and everybody else. And, of course, always room for our friend Ryan Walters, the Oklahoma State School Superintendent, former U.S. history teacher. And he's presiding over what sounds like from a distance to be a real transformation of what's going on in the state of Oklahoma. Ryan, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. See, I applaud the parents who show up at school and say, you're not going to be indoctrinating my kids with all this garbage, whether it's transgender garbage, uh, you know, DEI garbage, any of the rest of that, especially about sexual matters, that that's none of your business. But now the question becomes whether or not uh, Oklahoma has hired the woman who runs libs of TikTok to advise the state super- supervisor of public schools. But... Uh, does that actually translate into something that's sound educational advice? What Give us your perspective. Yeah, so we're really excited to have Kaya on the team. So Kaya is a volunteer on our library um, committee that looks over all of these books and all the material that's been put out in the classrooms. And she's been a forefront expert in national uh, nationally on uncovering what the left has pushed on our kids. We've seen pornography transgender ideology and so she has been doing a deep dive into this for about four years now she helped us uncover multiple examples of this here in oklahoma so i've been working with her for about a year now and we just said hey will you come and help us like we want to rid this filth out of our schools i hear it from parents every day and so she's been willing to volunteer her time to help us get rid of this once and for all you know you and i've talked about the american library association the teachers unions they have been pushing this stuff from every angle so she's going to come in and help us rid, rid the state of it well, and it means that you've got somebody with a perspective on it. Now, it's it's a perspective counter to that of the woke liberals on the left, but that's that's important, and it doesn't mean that you're going to take anything and everything she says, uh, you know, as gospel, that you have to do it, but certainly it brings a perspective that American schools have been deliberately ignoring for a good long time, doesn't it? That's right, and what we've seen from the left is, you know, they've embedded themselves in districts, um, you know, they have, they've hijacked the classroom, and then what do they claim? Well, well, parents, you don't need to, you know, hey, just trust us, right? Hey, you don't need to see what's going on here. Hey, community leaders, ah, just trust us. They, 
we want the most transparent education system in the country here in Oklahoma. So we're bringing in folks to say, listen, we want to make sure that parents see what's going on in our schools. We want to make sure everything's age appropriate. We want to make sure that we're not allowing our classroom to be a social justice experiment on our kids. And so we're bringing in experts. We've got parents, teachers. Um, you know, we, we've got all of these individuals involved here to help clean up our schools and get us back to the basics so that our kids can, can go back to getting an education, not being indoctrinated by these left-wing ideologies. You know, it's funny because, Ryan, you know, as long as I've been in talk radio and news, uh, I tell people it's a lesson I learned, not a lesson, but it was an advisory I learned from a person who's a friend of mine who's in business. And he said, I tell my people, don't write anything in a memo, even before the advent of social media and email, that you would that you would be embarrassed to see published on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. Uh, or another guy told me, he says, don't say anything on that phone that your mom would object to you saying. And if you follow that advice and say, well, I'm tempted to really, you know, write a nasty email to somebody. But if that showed up on the front page of the paper or if my mom saw what I was saying, uh, she would disapprove and I'd be humiliated to see it in the paper. When you've got people showing up at school board meetings saying to school boards, you can't put this book in front of my kids. And they say, well, we have to. And the parent begins to read from the book. And the folks on the school board say, stop, we can't have you say that stuff out loud. If it's, if it's not appropriate for a meeting of mostly adults at a school board meeting, it's certainly not appropriate for kids, is it? That's exactly right. And it's unbelievable. And, you know, Lars, I had a school board meeting here where we went in and the media said, oh, there's not pornographic material in our schools. Oh, this isn't happening. Well, we got up in a school board meeting and we just showed the images. I said, hey, show this on the news tonight. Let, let your audience decide. Let Oklahomans decide if this is appropriate or not. I had one of the journalists uh, tell me, well, I went to my producer and he said, you know, I can't show that on TV. There might be kids watching the TV at night and, and seeing those images. And I was like, I think you're missing the point. That's exactly why we don't want it in our school. <laughs> well, and you kind of wonder, is there ever a point where you've had the mainstream media? I used to be a day-to-day -day street reporter. They called them street reporters, meaning you go out and cover whatever was going on in the community, fires, murders, uh, city council meetings, things like that. Have any of them kind of done a, a come to Jesus where they said, look, uh, we admit we were wrong. If there's stuff we can't even show on TV to a mostly audience of adults at home watching the news, then you certainly can't be putting it in front of kids in a classroom. Have, have any of them made that mea culpa to you? No, I've had some of them say it privately, but, you know, <laughs> they are such an apparatus of the left-wing Democrat Party that they just toe the line on this. And I just, I literally came over from a meeting with, and there were some Democrats there that I was talking to, and they go, hey, we're just going to tell you, we don't agree with you on everything, but you're 100% right on this book issue. Like, th this isn't even debatable. And I go, I know. And they were like, we keep telling people in our party, like, guys, why are you fighting him on this? This doesn't even make sense. And I go, I know. I said, you, hey, your party's lost its mind. Y'all got to deal with that yourself. But it is one of those things that, frankly, it's common sense, um, but you have the left and the media that is so out to attack conservatives that they can't go, listen, guys, can we not all agree? Reading, writing, math, science, history. Can we not agree? We're underperforming in all these categories, so let's get the focus back on that. We should be able to, but the ideologues on the left just are not going to let that happen. You know what, Ryan? One of the things that always kills me is I used to love to go the I, – I loved being a contrarian when the facts backed it up. I was never just, I'll be a contrarian just to be a contrarian. 
But I come back sometimes and put a story on. And if you've ever been, you've probably been in a TV newsroom. Typically, there are four or five screens, sometimes 10 or 12 screens on the wall. And all the competition is up there along with the cable newses. And, and so if you're at channels 2, 6, 8, 10, 12, whatever it is in your town, you know, in the channel 12 newsroom, you're going to see 2, 6, and 8 up there. And routinely, the news director would stand there and he would say, okay, they ran with that story first. We went with that second. They, you know, or they told the story this way. And a lot of nights, you could watch the same story leading the newscast on all five stations with the same sound bites and the same general theme to the story. And I loved being the one who had the story that was different if the facts backed it up. And it's got to be humiliating when, when you have uh, nobody in town is willing, apparently, in your town to stand up and say, we're going to tell a whole different story. We're going to have a uh, reporter stand out in front of the school district and say, we'd show you the pictures that those conservatives that the school board is fighting with. We'd show you the pictures, except they're so disgusting and pornographic, you can't show them on TV. And if you're not hearing that from our competitors across town, it's because they bought into it. Be aware of that. That TV station, that radio station, would set themselves apart from every other station, which is what's supposed to happen, except that there is a herd mentality in TV news especially where nobody wants to break from the pack because the one that breaks from the pack, he's the one that gets picked off by the wolves. Hey, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you, you said that incredibly well. I mean, and what you've got with the fake news, and this is why you see hey, conservative shows, conservative book sales, you know, they take off because it's like people are so desperate for, can we get another perspective here? I turn on the news every night, and you guys are telling me stuff that I, I know that the sky isn't green. I know the sky is blue. Like, you're not even <laughs> admitting the thing. Blatantly obvious. We lived through COVID. We lived through the deny. We heard, we heard what they said about President Trump from the second he was elected that wasn't true. And you've got Americans that go, guys, I know you're lying to me, so we're going to flip off the TVs. I, I, I hear this all the time on, uh, you know, uh, around the state of Oklahoma and around the country of, hey, we don't read the paper anymore. We are not going to read propaganda. We are going to continue to find good conservative outlets that are at least willing to tell us um, the truth on these matters. And so they're going to keep bankrupting themselves. They're going woke and they're going broke. And this, they're not going to reverse the trend because they're ideologues. So well, I'm free market pressure. Uh, and that's what's going to take. I'm talking to Ryan Walters. I'm glad to hear you've got the woman behind libs of TikTok. And if her advice turns out to be bad, that's one thing. I don't expect that's going to be the case. But if she's coming in saying, hey, parents, you don't want this stuff in front of your kids, and the parents look at it and say, no, we don't, then you're going to find a lot of egg on a lot of faces. Ryan, thanks very much. That's Ryan Walters, the superintendent of schools for the great state of Oklahoma. Don't you wish every state in America could have a superintendent with that point of view? Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls, and we'll talk about Ilhan Omar, who says the she Lars sides with Somali. show. I always tell people I was the luckiest guy. Join the best conversation in talk journalism at 866-HEY-LARS. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's a bonus day for me when I get a couple of naysayers, so I'm going to have to say any, mini mani, mo, and we'll go with Yuri. Yuri, you're a naysayer. Welcome to the program. What is it that you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer on today's show? Um, we disagree on the um, Ukraine situation, and uh, I just uh, overheard the conversation between uh, uh, you and some other naysayer about uh, what Ukraine does with church and all that. Um, I am myself from Ukraine, so I know the situation very good. So, so you've I got a dog in the fight. You, I do. Yes. Okay. So what am I? What? What? Again? What do we disagree about? Do you think a free country shuts down its media and shuts down its churches? Yes. At the time really? of war. Yes. When yes. did that happen in the United States? When have we shut down churches or media during a war? Well, first of all, you're incorrect upon even saying that. Because Ukraine did not shut down the churches. They did. What they did is they shut down Russian Orthodoxy Church because uh, money from donations to that church were, go were going to Russia to support the war. Money from Ukrainian people, money from Ukraine, were supporting Russian, or Russian aggression against Ukraine. Church, as far as church, church is there. There is a Ukrainian Orthodox Church. There is uh, plenty of churches in Ukraine. So it's like uh, if there is a church in the United States that supports Iran, sending money to Iran uh, to support terrorists. Will you agree that this makes sense to close that church? By the way, by the way, I, I know things operate differently in Ukraine. But you're aware that the parliament voted to ban the Orthodox Church over what they said were alleged links to Russia. So any any requirement in Ukraine yeah. that you actually prove the allegation or just say yeah. it out loud oh, and yes. then it becomes true? Yes. Yes. No, 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 no. Everybody knew that. And one of the reasons... Uh, no, no. Hold, hold on, Yuri. Yuri. You're in the United States. I assume you're here legally and you're probably either a green card or maybe you've become a citizen. Am I right? You are correct. I am a citizen. Okay. Now, do, does the United States, does any legitimate system of justice work based on everybody knows it's true? No, but let's not go over the Because everybody knew because that O.J. Simpson murdered his wife, except it wasn't proved before a jury. And so he was acquitted of murdering his wife, for a famous example. Let's go back to the point. Let's say it is true that they're sending money to Russia. Let's say it is true. Will it make sense to close it then? Will you agree on that? If let's well, say it's true. Well, in the United States, if any organization, a church... Yes no? Hold on, I'm answering your question. If any organization at all, church or not, is convicted of the crime of giving material support to terrorism, uh, then then you can be thrown in jail. The individuals who did that. But the Ukrainian parliament voted on a law to ban the church based on allegations. And you're telling me, well, the allegations must be true because everybody knew it. No, there was plenty of uh, proof that they did it. Uh, because and where was that? Money. Where was that proof established before the before the Parliament of Ukraine voted to ban the church? I don't have that proof to prove it to you right now, 
But uh, let's uh, let's set this aside, and I just want you to answer the question. Let's say there was a proof. Let's say it is a true. Is that okay then? Will you, you can you can convict individuals of giving material support to terrorism. If but Americans go to fight question. in a foreign war, that's actually in a, in a, you can you can be convicted of that crime as well. But tell me what you think we owe Ukraine right now, and tell me why you think we should be sending tens of billions of dollars there. So you're not going to answer my question. You're not going to agree. Well, you, I've, I've answered it three times now. I figure that's enough. I've said if individuals are convicted in a court of giving material support to terrorism, which is what they're accusing uh, the, the Russian church of doing, except all it ever was was allegations. So we've argued about that, and we've come to no conclusion. You say I should believe it because everybody knows it. Well, there are lots of things that I can find where people say, everybody knows that. Is that, a good, is that enough for a country to shut down and ban by law an entire church? Okay, uh, let, let's continue then. So if, that's, uh, if, if they have evidence, if it's proven, then you're okay with uh, uh, closing that church? And, no, I'm and okay with convicting the individuals who are guilty of that crime. But if you say, if an individual within a church, so, for example, the Catholic no, 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 Church. No, 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 it's not an individual within the church. Well, then you want to convict the entire church of a crime that may have only been committed by some people in it? I'm not going to go with that standard, Yuri, but I did ask you the question. Let's go to uh, Joy in California. Hey, Joy, welcome to the program. You're a naysayer. What do we disagree about? Um, just a brief comment that um, <laughs> it seems like you're playing into Putin's hand with... Oh, that's the standard slur that's cast on anybody who raises a question about Ukraine. It's like, don't raise any questions about it. Just pay the money and shut up, right? That's not, no, that's not why I'm calling, though. I didn't think so. Why I'm calling is that um, I think that there's even an element of of, of, uh, pressure on freedom because of these book bans and what's being done in our schools. Where are the bans? Uh, Hold on, Joy. Let's start with the basics. Where are books banned? Can you tell me? Well, where you were just talking to the Oklahoma. No, all they're Oklahoma. saying is there, there are materials that are age inappropriate. So, Joy, I've read books that I would never give but to my eight-year-old's granddaughter. When she's 16 or 18, I might let her read the book if it was but, up to okay, me. But I think around the country that they are banning books. Name one place where one book has been banned. Name it. And, well, banning them, as you said, or they're taking them out of the library. Out of out of the hands of elementary school children, yes. Joy, Joy, have you read books that would be inappropriate for your granddaughter to read? But let me, I don't have any grandchildren. Um, I, um, my point is that I feel like the response to what you're talking about of this woke ideology is putting in another ideology. And the, the, the conservatives, the status quo, that's what's been in our schools and in our country forever. Um, and no, I think there's a lot I would of beg people. To differ. 
I'd beg to differ well, because, Joy, Joy, what we're talking about is, do you know what conservatives no. want? They don't want kids taught about sex, that, uh, that there can be more than two genders or no gender at all. Those are all ideologies. I want kids taught no. reading, writing, arithmetic. But that's not, you're, you're, you've got a classroom of kids who have a world around them. You've got kids who have... And should you shelter them parents. from parts of that world until no. they're old enough? No, but it's not... No? They, <laughs> wow. No, they okay. Have, no, they have, no, they have gay parents picking them up. They have transgender parents. Good. Their parents can tell school. them all about gays and about lesbians and bisexuals and no, transgender. But not, should but, the, but it's not... It's not talking about the sex part of it. It's saying that there's families who have two moms. There's families who have two dads. And what if that conflicts with the, with the beliefs of the parents and the values those kids have already been taught? Joy, you'd probably find yourself at home on any school board in America. It's a Monday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. In fact, I don't have a camera on my front, uh, on the front of my house. So I, I always, uh, Sergeant uh, Smith, I always try to let people know if I have a dog in the fight. But this, there has been a fight uh, that involves the company called Ring that makes the Ring doorbell that has cameras in it. That's a company owned by Amazon. And they have announced that they're no longer going to simply hand over video footage from those ring doorbells to the police when the police ask for it. And I wanted to get your perspective. Sergeant Betsy Bratner-Smith is spokesperson for the National Police Association and a retired police sergeant. Sergeant, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back to talk about this. You know, they, you know, ring, of course, is owned by Amazon. I actually have a ring uh, camera on my front door and uh, in a blog post on the 24th, they said that they are going to stop allowing police departments to request request footage through their, they have a, when you get a ring camera, there's a secondary app called the neighbor app and you can hit a request for assistance on that uh, app. It's a tool. And the police were able to politely ask people in the neighborhood when a crime had been committed, hey, can we take a look at your footage? Now they want to take that ability away. And we find it frustrating. Well, let me ask you something, though. When I saw that story, and I got to tell you, Sergeant Smith, I used to work in daily news. I get frustrated with news coverage all the time. What's the rule? Who, what, when, where, and why? And one of the things missing from every story I could find about this announcement from Ring was I wondered, well, so what they're saying is is up to this policy, if the police came in and said, can we get all the footage from a given neighborhood? We had a crime happen there or an incident happen there, and we want the footage. And Ring would just hand it over. They can still walk in with a subpoena, can't they? And if they decide to, if they say, we think there's evidence of a crime uh, that was committed, uh, then we can we can go to a judge, and the judge can say, you're right, you've shown us probable cause, the accident happened there, you noted that a number of the houses have ring doorbells, 
and a judge could issue a warrant. All they're saying, if I understand this right, is that Ring is saying, we're not just going to hand it over to the police anytime they ask for video, come back with a subpoena, come back with a warrant, and they'll probably be good to go, right? Well, they're also going to take off the request for assistance on the app so that police are unable to utilize that to reach out to, to various neighbors. So yes, can the police go door to door? Um, of course we can, but all of that takes time. And can the police get a search warrant for footage? Absolutely. But a search warrant, and I've written many of them, does not, not happen <laughs> as quickly and as easily as it happens on TV. So that, and I want, I want people to remember something that most police departments in this country, most police departments are less than 10 officers. So every, you know, it, we always think of NYPD, LAPD, Chicago PD. Most police departments are small and they are short staffed. And of course, why are they short staffed? Thanks to the vilification, the demonization of the American law enforcement officer for the last three years. So all, you know, all we are saying is leave that request for assistance on there so that we can more easily contact homeowners. And, you know, Ring is saying, well, uh, we're trying to protect people's privacy. I'm all for that. You know, cops love the Constitution. But whose privacy are we protecting? Primarily the privacy of the criminals. And, you know, to, to that we say, uh, you know, that's a, that's a lousy idea. Here's the thing. Why are they doing this? I believe it's because of, you know, uh, wokeness, quite frankly, because if, really? you, if you dig in, sure, if they you dig into why this is happening, yep. well, what they're saying is too many people have too many surveillance um, things on the, in their yards, you know, cameras, things like that. And that that's just going to change the neighborhood into a neighborhood of racial profiling oh, and surveillance. Boy. Well, and, and Sergeant, you're not going to find a better supporter of the police than I am. And I've always told people I've been accused. You support the cops too much. I say I always support the cops unless a they break the law, which does happen occasionally, or B, they break sure. their department's procedures. Those are the two levels, because you can break your department's procedures without breaking the law. And oftentimes you break the law, you've broken procedure as well. I guess I just thought of it as if you're really, in, you know, you're investigating an incident where somebody gets stabbed in a neighborhood. Well, having to go door to door is not that big a request because chances are if you're investigating a stabbing that happened in the neighborhood, you're going door to door anyway because you're looking for eyewitnesses who said, yeah, I looked out the window and saw this big guy stabbing this little guy. And you're going to want that person anyway. I just wondered whether this was a legitimate, you know, uh, process to say, okay, you're going to have to go get a subpoena or like they do for cell phone records and other things, or you might have to get a warrant and show. And, and, it, and to me, it, I understand departments are small. I've covered a bunch of small departments, but wouldn't you, end, wouldn't you imagine a lot of these departments will end up with a boilerplate request? We had XYZ crime that happened on such and such a date in such and such a neighborhood, and we are making a request of Ring Doorbell Company for all video shot from these houses that were in the immediate vicinity of the incident during these hours or, or time period. And you make excellent points, but I want you to think about two things. 
Okay. First, using the technology of Ring and other companies to be able to, you know, Ring is the biggest one. For the, again, they're just taking away our ability to politely ask through the app, through the neighbor app that's attached to Ring, may we uh, get your uh, camera footage? We're just asking. We're not going, we're not kicking in their door, and we're not stealing it. We're asking citizens, a crime happened in your neighborhood, may we get that and, footage? And one more detail of that story, when they ask Ring, can we have the video from these cameras? Are the owners of those cameras consulted? Because I guess, Sergeant, I could imagine a situation where, yeah, you, you got your neighbor at your door yelling at you saying, my kid just got arrested because you gave up the video from your doorbell camera. And I say, I didn't even know they had video. What is it with the permission of the owner of the, of the camera or is it just going yes. through ring? Okay. We're actually asking the owner of the footage directly through the Ring app, through Ring's neighbor app. So we're not even, we're not asking Ring to rip that footage. We're asking the neighbor, can you do this, give this to the police through the Ring app? In other words, we're just making it easier and we're making it more anonymous. So I want you to think about this. So somebody got stabbed in your neighborhood. So a uniformed police officer goes door to door in the neighborhood and starts asking how many of those neighbors who know that maybe there's a gang banging kid that lives eight doors down that stabbed somebody and it's on your ring camera but what if you're the neighbor who says i don't want that gang banging stabbing kid to know that i gave information and video to the police so i'm just That's gonna a very say good point. no sergeant smith we appreciate you coming on That's sergeant lesson show I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Larson. Let me tell you who else is noticing that. Donald Trump. Did you see what he recently said about the West? The, the, he wants to see the economy crash this year? Yeah. The sitting president. As they say in my face, bless me, Father, for, I mean, come on, man. Now, you've heard me say before that the 2020 election was a whole bunch of fraud and cheating and bad ballots and ballots that were illegally cast. But there you have Joe Biden from this past weekend describing Donald Trump as the sitting president of the United States. And he didn't even go back and correct himself on that. Apparently, Joe Biden understands that it's a fraud as well. Otherwise, why would he be describing President Trump? as the sitting president of the United States, when in fact Joe Biden should know full well that he is, at least in theory, the sitting president because of the cheating of 2020. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your phone calls and your emails. You know, we've got so much to talk about, and let me give you a taste of it in just a moment. But first, welcome to the program. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we've had some great naysayers today. Naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our X poll. We used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's X. The question today, will Joe Biden declare war first on Texas or Iran? And in fact, he's got a budding civil war going on in Texas right now, as we talked about all the rest of last week, all the way up to Friday. We're watching as there's a trucker convoy on its way to Texas. We've got uh, Texas standing up and saying, if Joe Biden will not defend America's border, then we will do it. You had the Biden administration that actually went off to the Supreme Court and said Texas is putting up razor wire and we need to bring in millions of illegal aliens, about 10,000 a day, about 300,000 a month. Uh, if we continue the track we're on right now, by the end of the year, Joe Biden will have welcomed into America more than 3 million additional illegal aliens to go with the 10 million who are already here. So you've got Texas saying, no, we're not going to do it. And in fact, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas and others in Texas have said if Joe Biden decides to intervene militarily in Texas, we are prepared for that. So you've got that going on. Then you've got American service members. God bless them. Three of them who lost their lives because of a drone attack in the country of Jordan at a base called Tower 22 that was hit by a drone strike. Three drones, one of them managed to blow up a housing unit where some of these Marines, are, where these service members are stationed, and three of them have passed away. All three of them are from the state of Georgia. God bless them, and may, may their souls rest in peace. And then you've got, oh, get this, Corinne Jean-Pierre. You know, the spokesperson uh, for Joe Biden, who's paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year to try to start straighten out Joe Biden's rhetorical messes. Well, KJP has been pretty good herself at creating rhetorical messes. Do you know who she says those service members who lost their lives and a couple of dozen of them who were hurt, including five hurt so badly they had to be airlifted out to Landstuhl, Germany, for additional medical care because their wounds were so serious? She says that those service members were fighting on behalf of the administration. Now, hold on a second. I've not served in the military. Members of my family have. My mother and father, my father-in-law, my stepson, all served in the military. They take an oath to support and defend Joe Biden? No. Joe Biden's administration? No. They take an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. You could accurately say that everyone wearing a uniform right now for any branch of the U.S. military is there to defend the United States of America. They are not there fighting on behalf of the administration. Now, you could say, well, Lars, you're just being picky. Uh, you know, what, what difference does it make? It makes a big difference. Now, there are armies that fight on behalf of a king. Joe Biden is not a king. I don't think that head has enough gray matter in it left to actually support a crown. But if he were a king, you might be able to say they fight on behalf of the king. Our military fights on behalf of the United States of America and its Constitution. They are not 
elements of the administration, even though apparently somebody like Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is hired and paid for her ability to communicate messages, doesn't even understand that. And that is a shameful thing. So will Joe Biden declare war first on Iran or Texas? I'd actually vote for Texas. I think war is probably closer there than it is in Iran. And lest Joe Biden go out after the deaths and the injuries, deaths to service members, injuries to service members. And Joe Biden, he is considering, we're told at this hour on a Monday night, he is now considering what his response should be. Well, number one, like with most of the problems that he's created since he took office just three years ago, his response should have come a long time ago. He should have decided not to pull people out of Afghanistan so quickly that 13 service members end up dying because of a terrorist bomb and rules of engagement that kept our military from killing the bomber before he killed American service members. He should have communicated to Russia, don't invade Ukraine. Instead, he gave all indications that a a minor uh, invasion of Ukraine was okay, but it wasn't okay if it was a big invasion. And then you've got China, China, which has been saber rattling about Taiwan. You and I both know that China wouldn't even do that. They would not go after Taiwan if Donald Trump was in office and they wouldn't. Russia wouldn't have gone into Ukraine if Donald Trump was in office. And now we've got Houthi terrorists who are actually attacking American shipping in the Red Sea. They're also attacking American military ships in the uh, Middle East. And you've got Joe Biden who communicates weakness all day long and twice on Sunday. And he's going to continue to do that. It's going to put American lives at risk. And we all know that's the case. Anyway, glad to be with you. Joe Biden himself admitting that Donald Trump is the sitting president of the United States of America. Now, should the United States finally, is this far enough that we should finally cut off funding to the evil United Nations. You've heard me say that for literally decades. But now we find out some of the people working for the U.N., for an agency we've talked about on this show as recently as last week, called UNRWA, the United Nations Refugee Works Administration or Assistance Agency, come to find out that the U.N. aid agency staffers actually took part in the Hamas terrorist October 7th attack on Israel, including some of them who provided rocket-propelled grenades. Exactly what kind of refugee assistance does the United Nations do? And if the United Nations does not have some kind of reason we shouldn't, the United States should cut off funding for the U.N. right now. As far as I'm concerned, if we could, I'd kick them out of the United States of America. They would no longer have their big palace on the Hudson River in New York City. Back in a moment, here's what's coming up. A Somali terrorist caught at the border, but the Biden administration let him run around loose for almost a year before he was finally arrested in Minnesota. Joe Biden putting America's safety at risk, and we're gonna talk about that next. This is a... Is your radio too far away? 
Just tell Alexa, play the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I, th- uh, I-, I got to tell you something. I, I want to share this with you. I think there's a perception on the part of the liberal left that when we allow millions of illegal aliens to come into America, that many of the people who watch this happening, 10 million or so since Joe Biden took office, so 8.5 million direct encounters by the CBP, in case you're wondering where I got the number, one and a half or 1.7 million uh, gotaways, and then, of course, the ones that were never even detected by the CBP, so they can't be described as direct encounters or gotaways, some other unknown number beyond that. But I bet that an awful lot of people who seem so charitable about the idea of allowing this illegal alien invasion, they say, well, these people just want a better life. These people want to come in and they, they want to work picking our crops and cleaning our toilets and uh, and making beds in hotels. You know, the jobs that stereotypically Americans don't want to do that, by the way, an awful lot of those jobs are done by Americans, but they don't imagine that you have Somali terrorists that are coming in across our border, but that's exactly the case. And I've invited Hugh Ficon, who's Director of Government Relations at the Conservative Partnership Institute. Uh, Hugh, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Would you mind uh, detailing for my audience this Somali terrorist who was actually caught at the border, then literally released into America, and then days later, uh, Homeland Security says, hey, we goofed. That guy's a terrorist. Go find him. And then he runs around loose till he got arrested in Minnesota a couple of days ago. Who? What do we know about this person? Well, you summarize it really well. Um, you know, he's a part of, uh, or they think he's a part of a um, Somali terror group, Al-Shabaab. And if, uh, you know, you're tracking that very closely, you'll know that they like to associate themselves and have, uh, you know, said that they they are similar to al-Qaeda. So it's not like there's some peaceful uh, group in Somalia. Um, and I think this gets to the bigger point, is that we don't know who is coming into our country. And that seems fairly obvious um, to everybody except for the Secretary of Homeland Security, who tells, uh, you know, members of the Judiciary Committee, members of the Senate, uh, and, you know, and various members of the Congress and the press, that the border is secure and that they have a, a robust vetting system for who's coming in and out of the country. But it's just simply not the case, and this uh, this instance proves that perfectly. And just so people understand, one piece of this that I want people to take note of. So he's originally nabbed March 13th of last year, and they don't discover until, as I understand the, the details of this, they don't discover until about a week or 10 days ago that, oh, we thought he was, uh, he was on, he appeared to be on the terrorist watch list, Homeland Security, the terrorist screening center said, no, it's a mismatch. Let him go. And then it, it takes nine months until the 18th of January when they say, oh, turns out the guy really is a terrorist. I mean, how does it take nine months to figure out something that, that seems like quite a threat when you've had a known terrorist running around your country for nine months and it takes that long for Homeland to figure this out? Yeah, it's incredibly uh, terrifying because there are, as you said in your intro, there are, are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people running around the country who didn't actually get encountered by CBP. So these are people that didn't want to get caught. Um, and I think it gets to the major major point that, you know, CBP is just, is just frankly overwhelmed. There are just so many people. I mean, December uh, of last year had the highest uh, single month of encounters, over 300,000 encounters. Now that that number is like you know you've got to you got to think about what that number means. I mean there are 300,000 people 
that CBP encounter during that month. So there could be one, two, or three different encounters. Um, but you, you know, you have um, a, hundred, a couple hundred, or close to a couple hundred terror watch list suspects attempting to enter into the United States. And so I think that you're just talking about such mass numbers that the Biden administration, specifically, you know, the Department of Homeland Security, isn't capable of vetting that number of people. So they just they come to the country, they apprehend them, they give them a notice to appear in 10 years, and then they send them on their way. And only after further screening do they realize that this person is, uh, you know, unsavory character. By the way, what you just mentioned might have got past people. They literally are assigning people court dates that are in the early 2030s, you know, that say, oh, we caught you now, show up in 2032 or 2033 for a court date, and then just trusting that they will show up six or eight or ten years from now, right? Yeah, there have been numbers of reports of, uh, you know, of, of uh, aliens that are coming into the country and being given these notice to appears, um, and, and they say, you know, early 2030, 2031, 2032, um, and, you know, there's a lot that happens in ten years. I mean, you have, you know, children, you get jobs, you, you know, buy a house. Like, there are a lot of societal impacts um, within ten years. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, the president should be turning these people away at the border, um, you know, and, and, and using the, the um, you know, Trump administration's authorities that they enacted to to make sure that the border was tight. I mean, it was the tightest it had been in a generation. And so for this, you know, for this president to say he doesn't have the authorities, it's a, a little rich because, the you know, the guy right before him was doing a pretty good job about it. By the way, the uh, uh, it's interesting this guy was nabbed, this member of al-Shabaab. We don't know his name, but we we know he's involved in the use, manufacture, transport of explosives or firearms. He's caught in Minnesota and in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. I guess. And one of the members of Congress from, from Minnesota, uh, Ilhan Omar, was giving a speech this weekend, and it was in Somali, apparently, and they transcribed it, and they found out she was telling the Somali audience, my allegiance, and it, but it was here in the United States, she's a member of Congress, she's saying, my allegiance is to Somalia, and I'm going to look out for the interests of Somalia. And this is an American member of the Congress, uh, and and this these are the people who, in theory, are watching out for America and making the biggest decisions, like whether or not we should strengthen our border. Yeah, that's pretty disheartening to hear, um, considering you know her her you know oath is to the U.S. Constitution and the people um, you know that she represents. Um, and so, but I you know this is indicative of the way that this administration has treated this border. They've treated it as though it's just a, an open border. Everybody coming here is, um, you know, is just uh, like you said, <laughs> looking for a job and an innocent way of life, and that's obviously not the case. Um, now, there there are probably some legitimate asylum claims in there, but we all know that many of these asylum claims are thrown out. But you know, giving someone a notice to appear from ten years from now doesn't actually fix the problem immediately. So. You know, if you can get in front of an immigration judge, they, you know, they, they are routinely uh, thrown out of these, you know, these cases are thrown out. Um, but, you know, 10 years from now, that could all change. So, you know, the, the administration is just treated as though it's a completely open border. Well, and, and you mentioned the getting a house, getting a family, having uh, kids, et cetera. These are all used as sort of a humanitarian argument. Well, this man or woman has been here for 10 years, has a family, has ties, owns a business, bought a house, God knows how, with no social social security number or legitimate status. But all of those will be used in a decade to argue you can't, because I'm seeing them being used today on people who've literally been in the country illegally for 10 and 20 years. 
And the argument is now that, I mean, I, I've compared it to you, if you'll forgive this, that, you know, you, you have a guy who works at a bank and he embezzles money and his family begins to enjoy his embezzled uh, income and, and they catch him after 10 years and the bank says, well, you know, we would ordinarily uh, send this guy down to be arrested and charged and prosecuted, but he's gotten used to the, the extra income from his embezzlement from his crimes. So you can't very well take that away from him and his family. We're going to have to let him keep on embezzling at the bank. And you say, well, Lars, that's silly. And I said, I think the pro, the, uh, you know, the, that, that kind of approach to the illegal alien problem is equally crazy. Commit the crime long enough and we'll let you get away with it. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's you know exactly right. That's currently how they're being used in these a lot of these cases, and certainly that's how the debate plays out in Congress. Where you take you know a pretty sympathetic population and use you use that as the rule. Um, but I don't think this uh, potential foreign terrorist from the Al Shabaab group, um, who the who has been considered a foreign terrorist organization since 2008, is a, a very sympathetic group. Um, you know, the, the at the at the behest of the Somali government. Um, you know, the U.S. carried out airstrikes against uh, a couple of these folks, you know, in, in January of this year. And so, you know, when you think about who these who a lot of these folks are and specifically this guy in particular, um, you know, these are these are certainly not the people that we should just be turning over notice to appears and then going back and vetting them after the fact that we've, you know, we've turned them into the interior of the country and, and potentially shift, shift them to, you know, their places as they want to go. We give them a, you know, a ticket and they hop on the plane and, and they fly off. So We'll give terrorists a free ride to whatever terrorist location they want to go to. Hugh Fike from the Conservative Partner. The Lars Larson Show. Take a walk around your neighborhood. Naysayers go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your calls. Here's a question I want you to consider, and this one actually comes from a left-wing media source, the WAPO, the Washington Post, as we call it. Are we being led into Afghanistan 2.0 by the Biden administration? And here's the way they start. Still smarting from last year's failed counteroffensive in Ukraine. Yep, a lot of money didn't get anywhere. And by the way, we're being told the estimates were from the Pentagon. Don't expect anything much to change in Ukraine in the next year or so. So just write the checks, send the money, hope for the best. And I'll get to some of the send the money stuff because you'd be stunned by the amount of money that's apparently being diverted in Ukraine, just as a lot of us feared. And we gave voice to that fear at the very beginning of this mess in Ukraine by saying, if you're going to send tens of billions into a notoriously corrupt country like Ukraine, how much of it is going to be diverted into the pockets of Ukrainian billionaires and oligarchs? But Consider this. So WAPO says, still smarting from last year's failed counteroffensive in Ukraine, the Biden administration is putting together a brand new strategy that will de-emphasize winning back territory and focus instead on helping Ukraine fend off new Russian advances while moving toward a long-term goal of strengthening its fighting force and economy. Be aware of that one. 
You know that we're already subsidizing Ukrainian farmers, Ukrainian schools. And I'll remind you that in the first year of the conflict in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine, the parliament of Ukraine voted itself a 75% raise in pay. Now, I can't figure out from what's available online, but uh, because I can't find the detail. But do you think America's Congress voted itself a pay raise during World War II? Do you think they voted themselves a pay raise during World War I? Because I would suspect they did not. In fact, I think they would have been roasted by public opinion had they decided to do such a thing. So get this. This is, again, from the left-wing Washington Post. The idea now is to position Ukraine to hold its position on the battlefield for now, but put them on a different trajectory to be much stronger by the end of 2024 and get them on a more sustainable path. Uh, hold on a second. Sustainable meaning you can continue at war as long as the checks keep clearing from the United States. The U.S. is planning to be part of a multilateral effort by almost three dozen countries backing Ukraine to pledge long-term security and economic support. And by the way, I get calls all the time from people who don't like my position on Ukraine. I understand that. Most of them will tell you right up front when they call, they'll say, well, I am Ukrainian or have Ukrainians in my family. Let me point this out. I always disclose if I have a dog in the fight. If I have a personal bias in favor of something or against something, I disclose it. If you're from Ukraine and you say the primary reason you support America sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine is because you're from Ukraine, but you are now a U.S. citizen or legal resident, why are you advocating that? Are you concerned about this as your country, or are you concerned about Ukraine? Now, all of us have ties back to somewhere else. Everybody does. Even Native Americans will say, well, I have ties here, I have ties there, and, and that is the truth. But if you say, my allegiance to Ukraine is because I'm from Ukraine, and now I'm in America, so now that Ukraine is in trouble, a lot, largely, I think, because of its own internal corruption. It is a country that is a mess right now. It was a mess before the war. It will continue to be a mess after. It is corrupt all day long and twice on Sunday. And every time I hear an American politician saying, we have to support the fight for freedom in Ukraine, you mean the country that actually passed a law against one of the biggest churches in the country, the Russian Orthodox Church, the one that has shut down media outlets when they're not saying the right thing. I mean, in some ways, it might actually be a little bit of a preview of what Democrats and liberals and Joe Biden have in mind for America. When they don't like media, they close it down. Uh, when they don't like the message that's being sent, they find ways to force that media to kowtow. Now, Americans have had freedom long enough that we fight back hard against that. But in Ukraine, they shut down media if it's not telling the story that Zelensky once told. And now they're talking about sustainability and helping out strengthening their economy. So we're rebuilding the Ukrainian economy in the middle of a war that we don't know the long-term outcome of. Britain made a 10-year agreement with Ukraine. They finally made that public last week. Because the prime minister in Great Britain has said, okay, we're going to support you at least 10 years. And now 
The Biden administration plans to release its own 10-year commitment compiled by who else? The people you trust the least, the folks in the State Department, with the blessings of the White House, assuming that President Biden's $61 billion request for supplemental Ukraine funding is approved by a reluctant Congress. Well, let's hope that it is not. And I've had plenty of people bring up the Budapest Agreement. Can I tell you a couple of facts that you might want to put in that? Every time you hear somebody say, well, the U.S. agreed to defend Ukraine. No, it did not. There is a Budapest Memorandum. Do you know why it's not called the Budapest Treaty? Because a treaty is has the effect of law in the United States. We sign off on a treaty, and it is ratified by the U.S. Senate by the required percentage. It is law in the United States. The Budapest Memo is not that. It is not a treaty. It has no enforcement mechanism in it. It was an agreement made by one American president that his successors are not bound by. In other words, when this was put together in 1994 by Bill Clinton, and would you trust him as far as you could throw him? That is just an agreement that did not bind George W. Bush, did not bind Barack Hussein Obama, certainly didn't bind Donald Trump, and it doesn't bind Joe Biden either. It was general support, and part of it talked about going to the United Nations and seeing if you could get the support should Ukraine come under attack. So this agreement made 30 years ago that is not binding, it is not law, it is not a treaty, and it isn't even enforceable, is supposed to tell us, well, we're obligated to ship tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. Then consider this. Our friend John Solomon over at Just the News, high-ranking Ukrainian defense ministry officials conspired with employees of a Ukrainian arms supplier in a scheme to embezzle $40 million meant to purchase 100,000 mortar shells for the country to use in its war against Russia. Well, apparently there are war profiteers in Ukraine as well. The plot began August two years ago when the officials signed a contract with a supplier, Leave Arsenal, for one for uh, 39.6 million for mortar shells after being paid they paid him up front the supplier was supposed to transfer part of the money to a foreign company that was then supposed to deliver the 100,000 mortar rounds to Ukraine so we allowed somebody to get in the middle of that deal but the supplier didn't sing send a single artillery shell back to Ukraine took the money into the shadows and the money is gone and, of course, earlier this month, John points out, the U.S. Defense Department says officials have not kept an inventory of the roughly $1 billion worth of specialized military equipment that has been sent to Ukraine already. So, I would ask you this. I haven't served in the military, but all my friends in the military say almost everything they do, they do has to be documented. You've got to have orders. You've got to have inventories. You send a billion dollars worth of specialized gear to a foreign country on the other side of the planet and nobody's got the proper records for a billion dollars worth of gear? This is starting to sound like Afghanistan all over again, except it's happening in real time. Up in a moment, Catholic University of America hosting a reproductive justice event that includes abortion doulas in the lineup. We'll talk about that next.
exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and always glad to take your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. That's the number 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. I wanted to talk to our friend Terry Schilling, who's president of the American Principles Project, about whether or not America's Catholic schools, I happen to be Protestant, so I guess I don't have a dog in the fight, are throwing morals and common sense out with a bunch of nonsense when it comes to abortion. Terry, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. I mean, traditionally, I would expect that Catholics, in theory pro-choice, although don't don't check with Joe Biden about that, would, would be holding uh, seminars on abortion to tell you all the things that are wrong with it. Instead, Catholic University of America is not going that direction at all. No, in fact, uh, the the latest thing is that uh, a, a psychology professor invited a so-called abortion doula to the campus to speak on reproductive whatever. I mean, the, the, the irony of what these people push is it's anything but reproductive. It is hedonistic. It is all about self-gratification. It's anything but reproduction. But this is someone that talks about uh, seahorse babies. You probably don't oh, know what that oh, is, Lars, oh, but oh, it's... We, we, we brought that up. Uh, that I'd never seen the term. And in fact, my young lady producer, who's in her 20s, said she'd never heard of it before. But uh, she had to explain to me what it was. I had seahorses when I was a kid, but there were things you put in the aquarium. But a seahorse mom is a former female who's becoming a male who's already had a double mastectomy, but then discovers she, he is, pre- is pregnant and then is, it presents the world with the sight of somebody with a large belly, no breasts, and a baby inside of her, right? <laughs> you or know, him. Lars, you can you can say it like that with all those extra words. I just say it's a pregnant, mentally ill female, right? That I would go she's for that. A woman, or I'd I think that she's that. a man. <laughs> no, but this is look. The thing that bugs me about this, you know, you, you send a, a center right person, or even a somewhat more right wing person, like a Charlie Kirk or a Candace Owens, to a left wing campus anywhere in the country, and they will protest. They will scream in hysteria that those people are killing other people, and it's it's the biggest news of all time. But Catholic universities can't even be Catholic, right? Can't we have our own institutions? What was the point of bringing this woman to the campus? Do our, is the professor there worried that the, her students won't be exposed to pro-abortion viewpoints or pro-homosexual viewpoints or pro-transgender viewpoints? Of course not. This is about forcing their ideology on people that don't really want to deal with it. Well, and, and when you say doula, I, I, I knew in general what the term meant. And I was asking my producer, I said, you know what a doula is? And they're, they're sort of like, uh, it, it sounds, I mean, look, they're probably going to be doulas angry at me, but a midwife is one thing. You've got, uh, uh, you know, OBGYNs, uh, they take care of women's health and now apparently men's health as well. Um, you've got midwives who assist in the birth of a baby and then you got a doula whose job is to be there during the birth, but not perform the duties of the OBGYN or the midwife, just sort of be there as a buddy for the, the pregnant woman who's about to give birth. That's what a doula is. Yeah, but this isn't this isn't that. This is a, an abortion doula, right? So she's in the room while the woman is ending the life of her unborn child and while they're having to pay these doctors money to take the life of the unborn child. It's totally nuts, Lars, but this is this is the world we live in where where Catholics 
uh, at college campuses bring these types of speakers. The thing is, we need actual Catholic ideas being brought more into the mainstream. If these are pagans, right? And we've seen the pagans before. We know what their, their rule looks like, and, and their tyranny really is what it is. We know what it looks like, but we have an absence of Catholic voices, an absence of Catholic ideas in this country. We don't need more paganism. It is all, if I wanted paganism, I'd turn on CNN or MSNBC or Hollywood, all right? But we need good ideas that encourage human flourishing, which is traditionally what the Catholic Church has been known for with her ideas. Well, and Terry, one of the things I, I, I remind members of my family and also my staff, I said, look at the things that are motivating somebody to do something, you know, so on whatever it happens to be. And what I'm wondering about is what is motivating any Catholic institution. Again, I speak with the deficit of being a Protestant, you know, in, in the sense that I don't I don't agree with their theology, but that's OK. They, they have their theology. What's motivating Catholic institutions to bring these ideas in to places like schools, whether it's uh, Catholic University of America, Notre Dame has gone kind of crazy as well. But but are they are they that desperate to have membership uh, because the, I, they, I think they do have declining membership and de declining numbers of, of men and women who want to be priests and nuns. What what's motivating them to do this other than just we got to keep the operation going? So I think there's two things at play here, Lars. First and foremost, there's been an infiltration within the Catholic Church. A few decades ago, there was this famous statement that all the major colleges, Catholic colleges uh, signed. It was called the Land of Lake Statement, and Georgetown signed it, Notre Dame signed it, all of the big Catholic schools signed it, and essentially said, we're no longer going to pursue the truth of the Catholic Church and its teachings. What we're what? going to do is pr pursue the, the, the truth outside of the Church. And so it was essentially a rejection of the Catholic faith, but they still kept the Catholic branding. That's why you have these other colleges. It, Catholic University is probably the best of the big Catholic schools out there. Notre Dame is a cesspool. Georgetown is a cesspool. Uh, they're all terrible. They're, they're no longer Catholic. They're communists, most of these schools. So there's been an infiltration, but also it's the same reason why, you know, Americans have adopted all of this stuff. There's this self deprecation that is deep-seated in us where we feel guilty because of all the prosperity that we have gone through and that we have really that our ancestors earned for us by sacrificing on the front end and, and sacrificing their own lives and, and livelihoods so it's 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 an infiltration of the church in our universities and our institutions but it's also that same self-deprecation that Americans are going through, uh, where they hate themselves and they want to destroy themselves, essentially, because they feel guilty that they're better off than everyone else. Well, see, here's the thing I don't understand about that. Terry, we're all, you know, familiar with branding. So you say, well, the Catholic Church has a longstanding brand, hundreds of years, lots of wealth, everything else, lots of adherents around the globe. And then some breakaway splinter group says, we'd like to leave the church and all those crazy ideas you guys adhere to, but we'd like to keep the brand. Why does the rest of the Catholic uh, Institute, why do the rest of the Catholic institutions allow them to keep the brand? You know, that, that's, a, that's a question for JP2, who's passed away, and Pope Benedict, who's passed away. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's an odd thing, uh, but they don't have any actual affiliation with the Catholic Church anymore. They used to. They used to be basically institutions of the Church, but they rejected it. And so it's almost like, uh, you know, a, a divorce. 
from these universities. But Catholics in America, if you're listening to this show, you need to get your kids out of these big-name schools. They're no longer good. Send your kids to Franciscan University or Christendom. There are better schools out there that will actually teach your kids instead of indoctrinating them. Unbelievable. Terry Schilling. Terry, thanks very much from the American Principles Project. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Take a listen to this from Joe Biden. The neighborhoods we grew up in, they made Joe who he is. And that's why he works as hard as he can for the people who make this country work every single day. Middle class isn't a number, it's a value set. Values that have guided Joe's entire life. Yeah, Joe Biden's middle class life. He spent a long, long time trying to persuade people, I'm just plain old blue collar Joe. I mean, it used to be when he was in the U.S. Senate, he'd actually travel home to Delaware on the train rather than taking a plane. And he has lots of train stories he tells now because he's trying to support this narrative that he's just a blue collar guy, not a multi multi millionaire who has lots of money in the bank and multiple multi million dollar homes, some of which are protected by millions of dollars of security provided by the American taxpayer. But let me get back to that and the thing that puts the lie to it all together. We'll do that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line if you want to, as long as you stick around for a couple of questions from me. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and find our daily X poll on X, which used to be Twitter, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com on our website. First, though, let's go to David. David, you had a question about the drone attack that was carried out in Jordan near the Syrian border that took the lives of three service members? I do, actually, and, and I'll just ask a question and get off and let you take it. Um, I've spent over 18 years in the military, and I know that our military aircraft have what's called IFF, which is Identified Friend or Foe. And whenever they're coming into a place, they uh, start transmitting. They call it squawking. Yep. I'm just wondering, do these drones not have IFF capability? Best, I mean, now, remember, David, you, you know, being in the military, there's only so much they release to the public, but it seems that most of them, maybe some of them do, the bigger ones do, but I know they're very concerned with drones, and there are some very large drones that the U.S. military operates right now. I'm fascinated by the technology, but some of them are relatively small drones. So if you said, well, we want to add an IFF package to that drone, I would imagine that the bias against it is probably because it does two things. Number one, it weighs something, so it reduces the other things like cameras or weapons that you can put on the drone. And number two, it consumes power. But apparently their system has been that when they have a drone flying out, 
they turn off the electronic countermeasures that are designed to bring down any drone like like the one that did attack the base. They bring it down. But apparently the jihadis figured out that system and they said, okay, then we're going to simply have our drone follow the other drone in. Apparently all they had to do was know the Americans have a drone returning to base. When it when that's the case, they turn off the electronic countermeasures that are designed just to simply take enemy drones out of the air. And they figured out when the when the defenses are down, we can sneak our drone in. There were apparently two other drones that were part of this attack. The total was three. One of them managed to kill three service members. There were about two dozen service members who suffered wounds in that attack. And uh, but but do they have an IFF? Apparently not on all of them, and and maybe not even on most of them. And David, you've seen the drones they use. Some of them are hand launched, and they look like you know a kid's toy. And so they're very small. So even if they had IFF on the bigger drones, the ones that act more like small, small aircraft as opposed to the little ones, um, they'd still have to have the electronic countermeasures. And if you didn't turn the countermeasures on and off as drones come and go, you send out a small drone whose only job is to go out, do aerial surveillance, send back pictures, that sort of thing, you'd still have to have the countermeasures because the bad guys can put a bomb or, or other device on those small uh, drones as well and fly them in. So you'd have to have the countermeasures and the IFF. And I'm sure that for some of those aircraft, the really smaller ones, the IFF would just be too much weight and too much power, and it would make them impractical. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Lars. I mean, I've read, thank you for the call. I've read as much as I can about what happened in this attack and how they got in, and that is the system. They ordinarily have electronic countermeasures designed to bring down the enemy drones that might attack uh, or approach that base, and the bad guys figure that out. Now, about Joe Biden being a blue-collar guy, I want you to consider this. Joe Biden is worth millions of dollars. He has several houses that are worth millions of dollars. The Biden crime family has done very, very well. And if you wonder, as a lot of us have wondered, how in the world does the United States senator, who for most of his career made about $150,000 a year, which is a very nice paycheck if you're just an ordinary American worker. If you're a U.S. senator, you're constantly surrounded by lobbyists who make millions of dollars every year. And here's poor old blue-collar Joe pulling down 150000 somehow managing to parlay that into multi-million dollar homes. Now, some of that came after he was vice president because his vice president for eight years he made a better paycheck than a U.S. senator, but it still wasn't get-rich money. And then after he became uh, a, a private citizen for a time in between the vice presidency and running for president, Joe Biden gave speeches at which he made literally millions of dollars in speaking fees. Now, you might wonder, why is a former vice president, former senator who's giving speeches, why is he making all that money? I think you should suspect the same thing is true of Joe Biden that was true of Hillary Clinton. There were an awful lot of people who paid Hillary Clinton huge amounts of money to come and speak before their groups. Because once she was a private citizen and she was no longer Secretary of State, she could get away with making huge amounts of money. And all of those people, I think, who wrote the checks to her 
were were they knew that what she was planning to do was run for president of the United States. So they figure, let's give her some money right now. We'll get in her good graces. And then once she becomes president, we will have a, a way to communicate to the future president of the United States. You might have noticed that an awful lot of her big speaking fees, the foundation donations and all that went down dramatically as soon as she lost to Donald Trump in 2016. But consider this when you think about Joe as just plain average Joe, because Joe Biden runs around, he shows up at events, and he tells uh, groups of union workers why I used to be a truck driver, I used to be a coal miner. I mean, he, he'll claim that he has held just about every profession there is in the world. But when he goes to the latest campaign get-together, which is in Miami, it's in Florida, He's going to be there with some of the most elite people. And how do I know that? Because if you want to go to that event, I don't, but if you wanted to, and you wanted to be considered a a friend of Joe Biden's campaign, you need to lay down $6,600. If you want to be designated as a champion of the Biden campaign, that takes $25,000. If you want to join the National Finance Committee for Joe Biden, you've got to come up with $50,000. To be a co-host of the event is $100,000, and to be co-chair is 250000 And people who can part with that kind of money, they are not just plain average Joes. you got the Lars Larson Show. the sound of freedom. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Glad to get your phone calls and emails. You know, we talk about the federal budget a lot. And in fact, over the weekend, Grover, I got, I'm talking to Grover Norquist, who president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, over the weekend, I got uh, an email from a nice lady. And she said, I don't understand why you want me to uh, vote for Donald Trump because of all the money that he added to the federal debt and federal spending. And I said, I'm not going to deny he played a role, but if you've read the Constitution, uh, the president doesn't, no matter which party he's from, does not spend money. The Congress appropriates money. Now, the president has two choices, sign the bill and keep the government running, or refuse to sign the bill, which Trump did, and shut the government down, which he did for about 30 days. And I think all of us saw the ultimate outcome of that was going to be at some point uh, one side or the other was going to cave. The Democrats are not as good at caving as the Republicans are, and they got their budget anyway. But, uh, you know, you can blame him and say he put his signature on it, but the folks who actually spent the money and proposed that higher level of spending were both Republican members of Congress and Democrats in almost every cycle. Am I wrong in any significant way in that way, Grover? No, Congress spends the money. Congress runs America. Presidents can slow things down. But at the end of the day, um, we had 62 years of Democratic dominance from 1932 to 1994. uh, And then the Republicans took the House and Senate. And Republicans have held Congress half the time since 94, half the time. They're competitive. They're competitive. We're not in control. They built 
the modern edifice of government with the endless growth in mandatory entitlements, when they had majorities of 60 and 70 plus percent support, House and Senate, okay? And then we're trying to dismantle it with two or three vote margins in the House and Senate. Uh, it's, it's tough out there, uh, but the, the Republicans are at least competitive because now they sometimes control Congress, half the time they control Congress. Um, but again, a bigger margin would uh, let you do more better. I guess, Grover, one of the things that, and I want people to be aware of it, uh, it isn't all 50 states that are required by their Constitution to spend within their means. It's, aren't there a couple that manage to exceed that? Well, they exceed it somewhat because you can borrow debt for uh, building a road, for instance. Yep. So on any given day, you'd spent more money than you'd raised in taxes. You plan to raise it in the future. Or the one, the trick that they have now is many of the states have almost all have very high levels of unfunded liabilities. They have promised government workers pensions that taxpayers can't afford. Uh, and they just keep pushing off into the future. It's like national debt, uh, but it's at the state level. But even with that, states have so much less debt than the federal government because at the end of the day, they have to compete with other states and how they function stuff. I'm in favor of moving as many programs, every welfare program out to the states because that discipline, the idea that if we do better, people will move to our state. If we screw up, people will leave our state and we'll lose tax revenue too, is a very important Nobody leaves the United States to go someplace else for economic policy. Uh, so as bad as we get, it's still better than Canada and Mexico and France. Uh, but within the state level, there are real differences that really matter. That's the way to compete and keep school choice moving forward and welfare reform happening. Uh, we just need to move more of those decisions to the 50 states, not because they're close to the people. That's nonsense. I'm not any closer to the governor than I am to the, or the mayor than I am to the president. But, but because there are 50 of them, and you can leave them. That's why. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, uh, you're not close to uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., uh, because that would be well, a scary... Pro- no, the only reason I bring it up, Grover, is because you've got all these states that operate within their means, and I, I'm aware they take on debt in other forms, but but they don't just get to say, well, we have a state budget of 20 billion, but we'd like to spend 25 billion. So we'll just print up a bunch of money. And yet the yeah. federal government seems absolutely congenitally incapable of spending within its means because they love spending money. And 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 I know that every pro- pro- program back there will have, you know, it's it's you know, it's fans saying, well, we have to have this program. You have to have that. Well, they, they aren't all have to haves. And by the time you're done with the have-to-haves and the nice-to-haves and the want-to-haves, you've got, what, this year, a $2 trillion deficit. So they're short of the amount of money they need by $2 trillion. And I'm just worried about where we're going to go when we finally hit the brick wall. There are only two ways to fix this. One is strong economic growth. We had a very high debt-to-GDP ratio at the end of World War II. We grew away from it, okay? We had lots of deficits during that period, but our growth of the economy grew faster than our borrowing did. 
And so the, instead of 120% of GDP, it was 20 or 30% of GDP. And then it started coming back up again. You can, gr- if you grow strongly enough and keep spending somewhat restrained, you can make the debt not smaller, just smaller in relation to the whole government. You know, if, if, if you're making a million dollars a year, you can be in debt a hundred thousand dollars and you're fine. If you're making ten thousand dollars a year, you owe a hundred thousand dollars, you're in trouble. So the, the, the wealthier the country, the more growth, the more GDP, the, the, the more, less damaging the same size debt is. But grow away from it. And then the second one is rain and spending, rain and spending, rain and spending. And we need to focus on that. The problem is every time we say, let's rein in spending, the Democrats go, oh, you're worried about the deficit. We have a fix for that. Higher taxes, Yep. which slows growth and is put in instead of in, the Democrats go, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to fix the problems. We don't want to manage the government. We just want to raise taxes to pay for the problem. I mean, it's just I mean, to me, the metaphor is the husband or wife, and it could be either one who has a spending problem. And and when uh, let's say the wife is the the breadwinner in a family, she's a doctor. She makes lots of money. She comes home and tells her husband, "You got to stop putting all this stuff on the credit card." And he tells her, "No, you have to go out and make another fifty thousand or a hundred thousand a year to fund my spending." And and you can understand how quickly that conversation would end. And now we've got the Fiscal Commission Act of twenty twenty three, a twelve million dollar study on how to cut spending. Oh, it's worse than that. This commission is the is plagiarized from the efforts in uh, 1982 when the little cabal of people get together and they said to Reagan, we will give you three dollars in spending cuts for every dollar of tax increase. This is Bob Dole, Republican from Kansas and the Democrat, Tip O'Neill. And of course, at the end of the day, the tax cuts were real and permanent and there was no spending cuts. There was no spending restraint. Spending went up more than before the deal. Reagan said it was the biggest decision, bad, worst decision he ever made as president. Eight years later, they went to George, Herb, George Herbert Walker Bush and said, you're a cheaper date. We're willing to give you $2 of imaginary spending cuts <laughs> for every dollar of tax increase. And he said, oh, good. That's a great idea. Darman tells me it's a smart thing to do. And he bought it. Okay. He it stood before, you go to ATR.org, our website, and you can see the, the clip of Bush apologizing for that mistake, okay? He said, I got took. And, I, and he said, I own that. He, he said, that was wrong. That was a mistake. Uh, and now they're going to have a commission. And what are they going to do? Recommend, <laughs> pretend, tax, spending cuts and real permanent damaging tax increases and all it takes is three Republicans on the commission to join the Democrats, and then you vote it, and it fast-tracks through Congress in five days so nobody has a chance to see what's going on. Unbelievable. That is Grover Norquist, President of Americans for Tax Reform. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. We've always done it. We always will. If you want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our poll on X. It used to be called Twitter. Now it's X. You'll find that at LarsLarson.com show back in a moment
Lars Larson Show. you like what you hear right lars larson welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and i'm always glad to get your calls i want to talk to lieutenant colonel dakota wood who served america for two decades in the u.s marine corps is now a senior research fellow for defense programs at the heritage foundation colonel welcome back hey thanks for having me on let's uh, let's have a good chat Absolutely. And and before we get into specific military preparedness, I'd like mm-hmm. your thoughts on, on this drone attack uh, that killed three service members and apparently left a, at least a couple of dozen service members with some fairly serious injuries in Jordan. Yeah, that, that crossed the line. So up to this point in time, what, 160 plus attacks on U.S. positions in that broader region, you know, Iraq and in Syria, as as well as some other um, uh, uh, locations, you could kind of dismiss it, right? You know, some traumatic brain injury, concussion shock, but no loss of life. And so the administration, the Biden administration, could say, we're going to deal with this. Maybe we attack a warehouse out in the desert someplace. But it was always kind of a restrained effort. When you get three body bags coming home, right? Uh, eight individuals uh, injured severely enough to have them evacuated from Jordan uh, for more serious medical attention, probably in Germany, and then uh, 34, 35 or so others injured. You know, it, the American public is going to demand something, and you're already seeing those calls for a very, very muscular response, not just against the militia groups in Syria, but against Iran itself. I mean, it risks broadening the war, getting the U.S. involved in another scrape, you know, in in that particular region. So it, uh, somebody goofed, uh, I think, in the in the Syrian militia group area and has put Iran in a dangerous spot. Not that they don't deserve to be there, but it's just one of those moments where you've turned a corner and who knows what the future holds. I guess what I'm wondering, Colonel, is, is Joe Biden going to hold back in hitting Iran because he still seems to want to have some kind of deal with the Iranians, even though I, I think the nuclear deal with Iran it's past its expiration date at this point, but he wants to to not go back against Iran in the same way that he didn't have much of a response when the Iranian-backed Hamas conducted the slaughter on October 7th in Israel. There wasn't a strong response that you could see uh, against Iran, and this is the same kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's this irrational hope that either buying off the Iranians with billions of dollars or promising some kind of diplomatic overture, um, or I, I don't know what they're thinking is going to happen that will change Iranian behavior. But we've got, what, 40 or 50 years of them behaving in a certain way. And, and, uh, and so the only thing they, they seem to respond to are direct military strikes that really hurt their interests. I mean, Reagan saw this, uh, Donald Trump saw this, and both the Obama and Biden administrations have taken the opposite tack, and that's what's really brought us to this point, because the, the uh, Iranians have been incentivized to continue to prosecute you know these sorts of uh, of military attacks. I so, mean, the, you know, did, Biden didn't is, sorry, 
Go ahead, Colonel. No, I was going to say Biden put himself into this situation where now you know you're in the depths of a political uh, election for the presidency, so he can't be seen as being weak on defense not supporting our service members in that region and not protecting America. And yet he doesn't want to be saddled with, you know, another war in the Middle East. So this is a it's a creature of his own making. And, and America, I think, is going to have to suffer the cost of this uh, in, in a broader conflict. I'm talking to Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood, now retired, but he spent two decades in the U.S. Marine Corps. Now he's at Heritage. But isn't that exactly how countries usually get themselves into war is by having <laughs> yeah. soft response? Well, uh, I guess I'm yeah, saying no, you, 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 go ahead, yeah. Colonel. No, no, I'm, I'm laughing because you're so right. I mean, this is the Chamberlain moment, right? We're yeah. Hitler. You know, we've agreed to peace. And uh, we can kind of laugh at these historical examples, but they're absolutely true. You know, it's like raising kids. If you don't discipline them and show them the correct behaviors when they're young, forget about trying to engage them when they're, you know, teens or, or young adults, right? I mean, we just know this. When, when crime becomes rooted in a local community and you wait and wait until the drug lords are there and organized crime is established, they don't move on willingly. And so the cost of correcting problems that have, have manifested over, over many, many years is always higher than if you had just been more aggressive and more confident at rooting these things out when they were small, you know, small potatoes. Because I think about Trump and he hits Syria. He says, you've crossed the line, he hits Syria. And, and I know at the time there were people saying, well, there's going to be a bad response to this. No. Uh, or dropping the Moab on a bunch of terrorists in Afghanistan. He said, well, that's an act of war. And, you know, even the Democrats are starting to make noises about us. Hey, Joe didn't talk to us before he did all this stuff. Well, he's commander in chief. He's, you know, in, in theory, he's not starting another war, but you have to have kinetic responses to some of this stuff. And he's let, what is it now? 140 attacks on U.S. military over the last few months and with almost yeah, no you, response you at all. Yeah, you must have slept for four or five hours because I think we're we're up to 163 now. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just it's just horrible, you know. And yeah, this timidity, half stepping, you know, the measured response out of fear of escalation in Ukraine, you know, gave the Ukrainians just enough not to lose, but not enough to win, right? And we're yep. seeing the same approach with Iran's nuclear program. They've got enough uh, uranium in grade, uh, enriched to 60 percent that in three or four weeks, you know, the leap to 90% weapons grade is not a huge technological leap at all. They could have a half dozen nuclear weapons. And what do you think Israel's response is going to do that, you know, to that? So that this conflict avoidance and this timidity and risk aversion actually creates the problem that presumably you were wanting to avoid to begin with. And China's paying attention to all of this, aren't they? On the other side of the world, with Taiwan 100 miles off their coast, right, 360 ships in their Navy, and at best we can put 60 in the water, uh, 1,500 miles from the nearest support base, you know, from a U.S. perspective. So, yes, they're looking at the numbers. They're looking at the timeliness and effectiveness of U.S. responses. They're seeing what the U.S. has done with respect to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and now threatening the Baltic states and even Poland. So there are a lot of eyes watching the U.S. response. This is not a global policeman or trying to do things for overly idealistic reasons or spreading democracy. It's defending our economic interests and our security interests and shaping a world that favors the United States and not that of our competitors. And Colonel Wood, uh, we also have a, a recruiting problem. We can't even keep our military ranks full, and they're becoming increasingly desperate to the point where they're saying, 
We know we told you to take the jab. You didn't take it, but could you come back and go back to work for us? I mean, and I'm hearing from service members everywhere who say, well, they're lowering this standard. We're now going to take people without a GED or a high school diploma. I mean, we're sounding almost as desperate as Putin. The Navy, it's not uncommon for the Navy to have ships that are undermanned by 15%. Wow. They have raised... The, the older age, right, the cutoff age for enlisting in the Navy to 41 years old, and they are now accepting Category 4 recruits, you know, on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of passing these, um, these tests. And the Air Force are so short of pilots that if you can zip up a flight suit and fog a mirror, you're going to pass. Uh, near 100% graduation rates, I think it's one quarter of 1% fail to get their wings due to proficiency, and it's automatic promotion in the Army from captain to major, right? So so these are the problems in our military services. The Army shrank itself by 33,000 soldiers last year because it couldn't recruit enough. Uh, three out of four American youth are ineligible for American service because of physical and mental problems, obesity, substance abuse, and criminal records. So we've got a dwindling pool of Americans that are even eligible, a smaller pool that even want to join. And once they get in, they're working with old gear, very long hours, and not enough training time to be competent in their tasks. Absolutely. That's Lieutenant Colonel Dakota Wood. Colonel, thank you for the time. From the U.S. Marine Corps, now at Heritage, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. We have no choice within moments of my inauguration. We will begin the largest domestic deportation operation in America. We have no choice because this is not sustainable. It's no wonder Joe Biden and his thugs are so desperate to stop us. They know that we are the only ones Who can stop them? They know that. They know that. And that's Donald Trump talking about what he says will be the biggest deportation effort in American history. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to tell you more about why that's so important, about why the deal that most of the major media is saying, well, they have a deal to deal with the border. Let me tell you why that's not true. But the latest, uh, I guess, perversion of the border deal actually seeks to institutionalize the idea that 5,000 illegals a day will be allowed to come into America. It just won't be the 10,000 to 12,000 that are currently entering the country. First, though, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer and you disagree with me, you're more than welcome. We're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our poll on X. The poll on X can be found at Lars Larson Show on X. The same question can be found at LarsLarson.com. So, 
You couldn't have a clearer choice as American voters. And I guess what I'd have to ask the Democrats who are listening, and I know I have a lot of naysayers and Democrats and liberals who listen to this show. I'd ask you this. Does it sound reasonable that America could continue to see 10 to 12,000 illegal aliens per day coming into America? Because that's the number we're at. The most recent numbers that were supposed to have been released in the middle of last week or earlier were actually released late on a Friday, uh, last Friday. And I want to tell you, there's a thing that they do in almost every level of government. When they want a story to be seen by the smallest possible number of people, meaning voters, the way they get rid of it is what's called a Friday document dump. What they do is they wait till close of business in Washington, D.C. That's generally 5 o'clock on Friday night. And then they push the story out. And, yeah, it'll be on the news Friday night, and most of America won't see it. It might even be on the news on Saturday and Sunday, and most of America won't see it. And by Monday, you'll have forgotten about it altogether. Well, what was that news? The news was that for the month of December, the numbers which had been held back, I think deliberately, by the White House, showed that more than 300,000 illegal aliens crossed into America in the month of December. And that's very similar to the the numbers from November. And I'd remind you again that back during the time of Barack Obama, he had a Homeland Security Secretary by the name of Jay Johnson. And Jay Johnson was asked, well, how big do the numbers have to be before you consider it a crisis? And he said, well, if four or five hundred people are crossing the border every day, that may be something that, you know, it's it's of great concern, but not a crisis. But when it reaches 1,000 illegal aliens per day, that's what we consider a crisis. So, And that was in a Democrat administration under Jay Johnson and his boss, Barack Obama. Well, what do we have now? We have 10 times what Jay Johnson considered would be a crisis. And not just ordinary illegal aliens, but consider these reports that we've heard about. Number one. Federal authorities caught a terrorist at the U.S. southern border and then released him into the United States, and he roams around America for close to a year. He was finally arrested in Minnesota just a couple of weeks ago. There's an internal federal memo that the Daily Caller News Foundation got. The unnamed man identified as a member of the Somali terror group. That's right, Somalia, the same place that uh, Ilhan Omar is from. The one, the one where she's, she gave a speech over the weekend in which she said, as a member of Congress, I'm going to make sure that Somalia's interests are protected first. So we've got members of Congress from Somalia who say Somalian interests come first, American interests come later. But this guy was a member of a Somali terrorist group called Al-Shabaab, one we've heard about many times before. He was released after being caught illegally crossing the border when? March of last year. So the memo says we caught this guy and then we took a look at him and uh, we, we thought there was a mix-up in names So we just let him go. And then the federal authorities decided, no, hold on a second. That guy is a member of al-Shabaab. He's part of a terrorist organization. We've got to go find him. They found him close to a year later and finally took him back into custody. This is who Joe Biden is letting into our country. Second, Joe's folks, Customs and Border Protection, who I think are good people, they've actually stood up and said, we agree with Texas, not with our boss. Now, that's that's really saying something. But consider that just last week, 
U.S. border agents caught two child sex offenders. They caught a convicted murderer, and they caught a convicted felon trying to cross the border illegally into the United States. And where do I get this information? How about this for a source? The chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, Jason Owens, put up on X, formerly known as Twitter, a picture of two men and said USBP agents in Del Rio, Texas, and the Rio Grande Valley nabbed two child sex offenders with prior felony convictions. This is who's coming into the country. So we've got an urgent need to try to do something about this problem. But the latest headline, and I'll warn you right here, this is what the headline is saying. It's saying, well, there is a proposal in Congress because it's part of a budget package Joe Biden has said he wants a package that includes more money for Ukraine, despite all the corruption going on there. And lately, stories that indicate that a lot of that money, more than a billion dollars, has been diverted of the money going to Ukraine. So when you say, well, we have to support Ukraine, money goes there and it gets diverted. Why? The same thing I've been saying since the beginning of the dispute in Ukraine, and it really is a major league border dispute between Russia and Ukraine. I said, if we're going to send tens of billions of dollars into a country that is notorious for its level of corruption, how much, how much of that diversion are we going to be willing to tolerate? And the answer is, I hope not a lot. So what's happened? What the administration wants is they want money for Ukraine, money for Israel, and money for the border. Except they want to use the money simply to increase the number of illegal aliens coming in by turning the border patrol, all respect to them, I'd call them a kind of a concierge service for illegal aliens. You show up at the border, the border patrol helpfully gives you a ride to a center, you get some meals, you get a medical checkup, maybe some clean clothes, you get a shower, you get to spend a couple of nights on a bed, and then you're released into the United States with a taxpayer-funded airline ticket that'll take you anywhere you want to go. The Border Patrol is being turned into a concierge service. And no, Republicans are not going to vote to systematize and institutionalize that. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.